Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, welcome back. Go big orange Friday on you guessed it a Friday. Ryan Shepard, Rocky Top Insider, is here. He's wearing a Chicago blue. He uh, avoided the the red that he's been wearing the last couple weeks. He's been going way too overboard in terms of ensuring that the good folks of East Tennessee international listeners aren't uh, under the impression that he is a biased journalist. So instead, he has just gone full bloom. He's like, I don't cover Major League Baseball, so you folks need to understand that I am uh, Team Chicago Cubs. I'm also Team PJ Tour over Live, so a good statement there from yep. Ryan Schumpert. Uh Ryan, good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. I, uh, I, I really thought about wearing a bright red shirt just to mess with you. I mm. mean, I, I really did. And I'm also glad you, uh, you appreciated the PJ Tour app because my favorite thing has been walking up to my friends and being like, you, you guys support Liv over PGA? Because I have something that shows that I don't. So, mm-hmm. so no, I, uh, I, I appreciate the, uh, the respect anti-Liv guy. And yeah, mm. uh, I, I had the, uh, the kindness not not to wear red, even though it, I thought about it just to just to see just to run back the last the last few weeks of the podcast and see your reaction. That's I I don't know if we would have done the show to be honest, Ethan <laughs> or Ryan. I don't I don't understand. I don't I don't know if we would have been able to do that. Um, no, but it would be a funny bit to just figure out where on the streets like are you live or uh, PJ Tour in Knoxville, Tennessee. I would love to know what the, the yes. general temperature is here across the board. Yes, yes, no, exactly. Just you support the Saudi? <laughs> oh. I'm not judging. I, I yeah. don't. I have something that tells you I don't, but whatever. Yeah. You you do you. I'm not I'm not judging. Mm-hmm. But like in all honesty, if you're out and about uh, anywhere over the weekend and you just you pick up on a conversation and someone's like, dude, Liv's awesome. Like, I love what they're doing there probably want to stay away like it's probably just they're probably not a good hang uh that person is probably not a good hang i think it's only bots that say things like that so mm-hmm. can you imagine just like meeting someone out and just being like dude have you <laughs> checked out that new product live love live love the live tour like the live tour is my jam <laughs> like i'm all in all I'd in be lo- i'd be looking around for cameras being like <laughs> if i being pranked like what <laughs> is Liv putting together a little documentary in Knoxville? Like, what, what's going? What's going on here? This, this cannot be a normal person. Have you been to the new uh, Top Golf in Farragut? I haven't. No. Mm. Need to get to it. I feel like I'm about the only person in Knoxville who hasn't. Have you been? A... That's what social media tells me. <laughs> exactly, and social media is uh, always 100 uh, percent accurate of the <laughs> exactly. Dude, I was um. I kind of want to go back to I don't need coffee to feel alive in Knoxville, Tennessee anymore, because I found that if you go to a total wine and liquor on a Friday in uh, the fall, you will just the energy and the I, I woke up, I returned a bunch of um, uh, leftover wine for my wedding a month and a half ago because it turned out that wine was not the thing that people got into at the wedding. So we had a lot of leftover wine and you don't really know how it's going to go until you buy a bunch of everything and you're like, oh, people went the other way. Um, but ultimately we brought a bunch back and, um, when I went in there, it's like chaos. It was, cha- it was like Friday at one o'clock and I'm like, what is happening? And there were all these people just buying like so much alcohol in bulk for tailgating on Saturday. Yeah. This was, uh, ahead of UT Martin, by the way, um, uh, just go ahead and throw that one out there. But I just imagine like what it's like Thanksgiving week, Christmas week, July 4th. I don't like it. It was 
unnerving for me to walk in there and be like, Ugh, this is not the energy I want at all. Like not my kind of deal. Um, but yeah, that's if you want to feel alive, just go into a total wine and liquor tunnel wine spirits i don't even know what it's called um over there in farragut and you'll you'll feel something something different walking in and out of there but they're also super helpful shout out to them they're really nice um but they're massive stores aren't they they're gigantic stores yeah it's so wild gigantic stores gigantic stores um which naturally leads us uh ryan to the tennessee volunteers who um play a yet another game of the century uh, in the same season, uh, you have been a what we call a Tennessee skeptic, a Tennessee cynic uh, all season long. Um, you saw seven and five, eight and four uh, best case scenario before the year. Um, you were even saying that you were longing for the the calm, methodical Jeremy Pruitt, uh, Jim Cheney approach uh, to the Tennessee offense. You like the slow and steady. You're more of a let's not rock the boat. Let's not get anything crazy. Let's not go downfield. Let's take our take her time and like focus on the defense and we'll, we'll get there when we get there. And it's been tough for you to adapt and evolve to what Tennessee football has become uh, over the last year and a half. But I, on the other hand, on this podcast said 10 and two before the season and uh, did not see a path for Tennessee, not to win double digit games. Now look, it can still happen uh, barring catastrophic injuries, but I'm not the least bit concerned about South Carolina, Mizzou, and Vanderbilt down the stretch here. Uh, with that being the case, 11-1 and one seems like worst-case scenario at this point for Tennessee. Um, Ryan, what, uh, what, what are you feeling ahead of just game number two and your opportunity to the national listeners, the East Tennessee listeners, um, to kind of get back in their good graces after turning on them, wearing the crimson red, and picking Alabama just a few weeks prior? Are you going to do the same even in Chicago blue this week, are you, are you following that same path? Man, you get on 10 minutes late for one chase Thomas <laughs> podcast and you get put on blast with mm-hmm. some fake, with a little, little bit of fake news, some mm-hmm. truth in that, some fake news. I mean, you would have thought I picked Tennessee to lose like three or four times this year. It's just been the Alabama game. I've picked them to win every other game, mm-hmm. uh, but you were, you were right before the season. I uh, was befuddled by your 10 and two uh, at worst case scenario take and, you're on the money, and I think you're right on, on the rest of the, the season. Uh, South Carolina, Missouri, and Vanderbilt, they don't have offenses that will put up any sort of test for Tennessee. But, no, I mean, going into this game, it's it's a massive game, and it feels like maybe there's less pressure on Tennessee just because I think even if they lose this game, they still have a really good chance to make the playoffs. And Georgia, if they lose this game, has a chance to make the playoffs, but they don't have that Alabama win in their back pocket. I think it, it would be harder for them. Uh, so. I feel like it's a pretty good matchup for Tennessee, to be honest. Uh, I wrote about it this week, wrote about it today, that to me the, the battle of the line of scrimmage is, is really where this game is going to be decided. If Tennessee can run the ball the well, way they've been able to run the ball on really just about everybody they've played this year, uh, I have a hard time seeing Tennessee losing this game. Uh, but I'm excited. It should be a lot of fun. And, you know, for Tennessee, has been on the road twice this year and really hasn't gotten like a, a true big-time uh, road environment. And I don't think that will – affect the team very much but i think that makes it uh, more exciting and the more a game that everybody including myself is ready to roll with like you said i'm not as terrified going into this one i think as long as it's close either way um now for my nerves and my sanity that's not great for me on saturday like this being a four and a half hour game of just nothing but my nerves yeah. being fried like that's not great but 
I think most Tennessee fans understand that a loss here is not the end of the world. That a loss here, like you said, you get to avoid probably Alabama playing them again in the SEC title game and trying to see lightning strike twice. On the flip side, if you win this game, you're probably no matter what in the playoff, I think is the other thing where you're like, you're basically confirmed. If you beat Alabama and Georgia in the same regular season, like you're in like that at that point, this is you can get blown out in the SEC title game by Alabama or whoever. But you're still getting in with those two regular season ones. You're you're getting into the playoff. This one makes it a little bit more arduous, but I think uh, ESPN's uh, FBI has Tennessee going into this weekend with a 60 something percent chance of making the playoff. And I think that's the third highest uh, in their model. So I think the path is quite clear where people are like, oh, but the undefeated, it's like TCU is not running the gauntlet. They're not going 13 to 0. Uh, the 12 and 1 Pac 12 winner is not getting in over a one loss SEC team. Um, and it's also something that Tennessee fans should be worried about. Where I wrote about this yesterday, it's wild. But if you go back through the history of the College Football Playoff to this point, every time there's been two SEC teams in the College Football Playoff, they have made the College Playoff final. So if Tennessee gets in, that means they probably got in with another either Alabama or Georgia, and then you can go ahead and book the the national title tickets uh, based on what we've seen thus far. And also, no number three team has ever uh, made the college football playoff um, in their first rankings. So Georgia's in an interesting bind there. Uh, six teams have made it when they started off number one. Six teams have made it when they started off number two. So Tennessee's in really good company. Um, and as long as they take care of business the last three, even if they lose close, it's going to be hard to even, and for the folks who are like, oh, but you have to put in the power, like another power five champion. It's like, there's a reason TCU's behind Alabama at this point uh, in the standings. I think if Tennessee loses this game on Saturday, worse, they fall to three is my guess. Like that's the worst case scenario, or I guess four would be the worst case scenario for them. But I don't see them falling out of the playoff, uh, either team, if they lose this game. I don't see them falling out. Maybe Georgia because they're three, and maybe we'll see if they, someone else jumps them, but the amount of respect they clearly already have from the committee by putting him number one at this point tells me if you go 11 to one and you take care of business the last three and you're close against Georgia, I don't see a Oregon, a Utah, a TCU, um, a, even a one loss Michigan or Ohio state jumping them. I don't see two big 10 teams and only one sec team. And under the circumstances like Michigan and Ohio state will cancel one, the other out. And then Clemson, they can be fine and they can get in undefeated, but I think the path is still pretty easy for two SEC teams. I'd be pretty surprised at this point if you don't get two SEC teams. So um, I don't know. Do you do you share that sentiment, Ryan? Yeah, I agree with that overall. I would go, you know, in order of concern, Tennessee loses to Georgia and then Alabama beats Georgia. Tennessee's not getting yeah. in. I mean, that's in your that's to your point. It's going to be two SEC teams. But that's, to me, if Tennessee loses this game close, that's the most likely path of them not making it. Now, I think if TCU ran the table and was undefeated, that could present some problems. Now, I think myself, like most people, are just waiting for TCU to, to slip up at, at some point. And, you know, the other one, really for a lot of the season, uh, that I kind of worried about was a one-loss USC or a, a one-loss Oregon. Really, USC from the standpoint of USC, big name, and then both of them from the standpoint of wanting to get a West Coast school in and Oregon from the standpoint of well, their only loss in this scenario would be to Georgia the first game of the year. And, you know, taking off the Tennessee side of it, because I think Tennessee is better than Oregon. Yeah, you probably shouldn't be punished that much for losing, uh, scheduling a really good team in Atlanta uh, an hour away from uh, their home stadium across the country for you. Uh, but at the same time, as the season's progressed, as we've seen these initial 
rankings and as really dominant as Tennessee has looked against Kentucky and LSU, I, I, I see that being less of a concern. I, I would be surprised if a, a one-loss Pac-12 championship got champion got in over Tennessee. So I, I'm kind of with you on everything you said. And it's what you got to worry about is you got to worry about it's if Tennessee loses to Georgia this weekend, they're going to become the biggest Tennessee fans will become the biggest Georgia fans in the world the first weekend in December. And then on the flip side, I think you still need uh, TCU to lose at some point because TCU's resume, if they were to run the table, I think would be impressive enough to to warrant a spot in the playoff. Now that you've had several days to think about it, Ryan, how do you ultimately think this game goes on Saturday? How do you think the game flow goes? How do you think it actually plays out? It's it's a good question, and I don't feel like I have a really strong conviction on it. I, I think Tennessee's going to win this game because I think Tennessee's going to be able to score enough. I think Tennessee might not run the ball as well as they ran against Kentucky, against Alabama, against LSU, but I think they'll run it better than they did against Pitt. I think they'll do run it enough to keep Georgia's defense honest, which is really what they need to do because it's the, the passing offense that's so explosive. And uh, it's just kind of what I've said from earlier this season about the Georgia game and why I thought this was a better matchup for Tennessee than the Alabama game is. Tennessee's built like the teams to beat Georgia. I mean, Georgia's mm. weakness is getting into these shootouts and not having enough offense to keep up. And I think that's, you know, even magnified this year when you have a guy like A.D. Mitchell who, who's out and isn't expected to play in this game. And as good as Stetson Bennett's been, as improved as he's been, if Tennessee can control the defensive line of scrimmage like they have a lot this year and force Georgia in third and longs and, and bring out those pressure uh, packages that have been really good against everybody except for Bryce Young because I couldn't tackle Bryce Young in the back, in the backfield. Uh, then I think this is a game Tennessee's going to win. I I think it's going to be in the upper 30s uh, probably and really close. And I I think Tennessee wins. To me, the one thing that really flips the game on its head is if Tennessee can get out to a fast start. If Tennessee's up 14 nothing in the first quarter. I think that completely changes the dynamic of the game and uh, really puts Georgia in a hole because I don't think where Alabama went, Tennessee got up two possessions on Alabama. You're like, Alabama's going to come back. This game is going to be competitive. They have Bryce Young. They are built to play in a game like this. Georgia is not built to play from behind. And I think if Tennessee can jump on them early, that uh, would really put a lot of pressure on Georgia and kind of be almost free for Tennessee in a really big game like this. How does Nolan Smith being out change things for Tennessee? I don't think it changes things a ton, to be honest. I mean, I think it maybe makes or it makes Georgia's pass rush a little bit worse. Uh, we'll see what degree it makes Georgia's pass rush worse. But look, Georgia's pass rush has been pretty average, you know, this season. I mean, it's not it's not the same pass rush that they, they had last year and the same defensive line they had last year. And Tennessee's offensive line, if they can run the ball, that's why everything to me goes back to Tennessee ball to run the ball. If Tennessee can run the ball, go to the Alabama game. This one sack, Hinton Hooker not under pressure much at all. If Tennessee is not in third and long, I don't see Georgia's pass rush giving Tennessee a ton of problems. And that's with or without Nolan Smith, even mm-hmm. though obviously we know he's not going to play. Uh, so to me, it doesn't change a whole lot. Uh, it probably, again, it makes it does make Georgia's pass rush worse by how much we'll learn on Saturday. I doubt it by a ton. Uh, but just as really as a whole, even before Nolan Smith was injured, uh, this was not a, a Georgia pass rush that really gave me a lot of concern for Tennessee's offense if they're able to stay ahead of the sticks. How does, or I shouldn't even say how does, like, will Tennessee 
give up any big plays over the top. Like that is one of the things I'm thinking about is just that like Stetson to win this game, I think he has to hit some of those bombs. I think he has to have the, and that's like when people talk about Tennessee's um, pass defense and what they cite with yardage, like that's the typical one they'll cite against uh, Tennessee's pass defense. It's like, well, if you have to watch these games week over week where they're not giving up the bombs, like that's not how it's happening. And a lot of it's like the bigger plays is when they're short and Tennessee goes for the strip or just bad tackling um, is generally speaking how those pass plays turn into 20 to 30 yards. They're not getting beat over the top. They're actually short and Tennessee is just not tackled well uh, in space, especially in that LSU game. There were a couple of plays like that. Um, Florida, obviously, that was all over the place. Um, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, yeah. Um, but lots changed and that was not the case against uh kentucky uh last week um granted it wasn't home and all that but will levis still a projected first round quarterback who had uh all kinds of problems against tennessee and tennessee's secondary has never looked better um they're healthier than they've ever been i guess probably this whole season this is probably the healthiest the secondary has been to this point um probably the most confident tennessee fans have been to this point and what the secondary can do headlined by Danico slaughter we'll see who who plays at the star but what are you what are the chances that Tennessee is susceptible to the big downfield throws that we have not actually seen teams try against Tennessee? Well, you hit the nail on the head. My concern there would not be, you know, someone beating Tennessee over the top for a 70-yard touchdown. My worry would be hitting Brock Bowers for a 25-yard corner route and then Tennessee mm. can't tackle him and he runs for 30 yards and a 55-yard touchdown. That to me, that would be my bigger concern because Tennessee's defensive backs have been so bad at tackling this year. And you would think, uh, obviously, there is an emphasis on trying to strip the ball. You know, analytically, it's pretty obvious. That's what Tennessee teaches its Stevens backs to do. You would think with Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington, that goes out the window this week, and it's like, just get him on the ground and because those guys are going to be a load for Tennessee. And uh, But, no, overall, I think you're right that uh, this is not going to be a Georgia offense that can hit a bunch of stuff over top of Tennessee because, really, no, just to your point, no one really no one has. And to me, it's – that's the one thing that I'm curious about coming into this game. And maybe to me, the biggest question mark is just Tennessee's defense. I, I think they're a lot better than the reputation uh, for them. And they've just sneakily been playing a lot better, really, the last month of the season. They played really well against LSU. I think they played better than the numbers. And certainly the final score indicates uh, against Alabama. Obviously, UT Martin's not much that, that matters. And then obviously played great against Kentucky. And to me, it starts again. Uh, Georgia, probably the best offensive line I'd say Tennessee's seen to date this year. Georgia running backs aren't, you know, typically what you think of when you think of Georgia running backs. And if Tennessee can can do a good job of not letting Georgia beat them on the ground and make them drive down the field with Stetson Bennett making a lot of big throws or beat them over top, which I don't think is very likely to happen. I think this is a game, a good recipe for Tennessee's defense in the game. They'll play pretty well. In. On the flip side. There are a lot of Georgia fans who don't think because they have not given up any big scores this year that this has not been a team that's been challenged uh, deep, that has been challenged to give up a lot of points. And like one of the things that they overlook is that like Alabama has only given up 15 total touchdowns this year, seven of which were against Tennessee. So <laughs> you throw out the Alabama game, Alabama's numbers are significant are just right there with Georgia's like that's the same kind of thing where and I would also posit that. Will Anderson and Dallas Turner are a lot more terrifying to this point than what George is going to throw out on the defensive line this year. Um, it's just a different ball of wax uh, in terms of those two. And like you said, it's weird that I think Georgia actually is a better matchup than Alabama for Tennessee this year. Um, but it's at home, so there's a different thing there. But I yeah. look at 
this stuff over the top where it's like Georgia fans, I think, are going to be stunned to see Jalen Hyatt still find his way. Like, you know, going in, Jalen, they're going to challenge you deep with Jalen Hyatt. Like, they're going to put Jalen behind Cedric Tillman and they're going to make uh, these corners and safeties work and think. And that's what they've talked about. It's like, it just, it's so hard mentally because they're not subbing and you have to just kind of, you have to be so careful because one wrong move, you get caught looking at Cedric one second too long and you think Cedric's going one way and then Jalen Hyatt's already gone because of how quickly this, this just happens. After how many touchdowns before just every team in the country just understands that like, all right, 14's going to Jalen Hyatt probably. Like we're just giving up 14 to Hyatt. Like at some point you just accept that like doesn't mean we're going to lose the game. But Jalen Hyatt's not going to be on the goose egg uh, front, I think, against Georgia, right? Like do you don't see a path where Georgia actually limits Jalen Hyatt at the very least. I can see a path where Georgia limits Jalen Hyatt, but with that path, I see Cedric Tillman have a really right. big game. It, it, it's just you, you stopping both those guys is so hard. And Jalen Hyatt said mm-hmm. as much, maybe earlier this week, maybe it was after the Kentucky game, where he was like, you can scheme to really take away one receiver. You can't do that to take away two receivers. And Cedric Tillman, even though in a stat sheet, it didn't show up a ton. He didn't have a massive game against Kentucky. The two Jalen Hyatt touchdowns, just like you said, stacks, safety goes uh, to Tillman on on the uh, post route, and then boom, Hyatt's wide open on the will route. So uh, I just think Tennessee will hit big plays for them. Cedric Tillman, to me, is kind of the under-the-radar guy coming into this game because I think there will be a lot of int- attention on not letting Jalen Hyatt get a big get big plays. And we know Cedric Tillman. He's a, he's a big game player. He is continuously really, really good in these biggest stages, and uh, I think he's going to have a, a really big game on Saturday. I like it. Um, do you think Tennessee will run on Georgia? To me, that's been the biggest question all week. To me, that's the very biggest question in this game. And I don't think they'll run on it. I certainly don't think they'll run like they ran on Kentucky and like they ran on LSU. I really don't think they'll run on them like they ran on Alabama. I mean, you go back to that Alabama game, Tennessee ran for 170 yards. No running back ran for more than 13 yards on the carry. I mean, it was four to eight yards every single time Tennessee ran. I don't think it's going to be like that. I think they'll be forced into more third and longs than they were in that Alabama game. But I still don't think this is going to be like you go back to two years ago and I'm going blank. What was it? The Tennessee's offensive line was calling itself coming into the game. Uh, TVC, uh, the, like the, isn't that like a, some sort of energy source in East Tennessee? I don't know. They were calling themselves that and then Tennessee couldn't run the ball for and negative. I don't remember this at all. So I, I trust you on this one. I credit to you for blocking that that game in Tennessee's <laughs> offensive line, trying to hype itself up uh, out of your memory. When mm. I say all that to say, there was a lot of hype around Tennessee's offensive line going into that game, and Tennessee was going to be able to run the ball in Georgia, and Tennessee had negative rushing yards on yeah. Georgia. I mean, maybe people forget over- they had five five stars all across the offensive line. Yes, and Georgia just completely overwhelmed Tennessee mm-hmm. in front in that game. I don't think it'll be like that either. To me, there's going to be some sort of middle ground here. The number for me. I feel like Tennessee needs to at least be able to get to 100 yards rushing and then get to 125 yards rushing. I feel pretty good that they've done enough on, on the ground to loosen up Georgia's defense. And it, any big game, I feel like I talk about it, but Hendon Hooker's legs to me are going to be big in this game because it's, to me it seems pretty obvious. And most games, if they feel like going in, they don't need to run Hendon Hooker to win. They're not going to run him. I mean, he'll scramble, he'll scramble some, but it is, his design runs aren't going to be part of the package. You go to the Florida game, you go to the Alabama game, you go to the Pittsburgh game. Those games, Tennessee was much more willing to run than Hooker. I think that'll be, uh, again, be the case this week. And uh, I think will be something very interesting to watch to see how successful Hooker can be with his legs. Yeah, I, um, I'm curious 
uh, with how many design runs Hinden has. Like how many just QB draws in the, in the gun and see what he has. Like I, I'm curious because he's taken some shots to this point. Um, and it's just such an important part of this offense because like it saves them when they're first down. If they don't connect on a deep bomb or something, second and 10. And then they'll do that to get it to third and manageable. Because if you get third and manageable with Tennessee, they're thinking four downs anyway. So then they're like, all right, RPO, then we'll get it to fourth and one. And then we'll just uh, QB sneak at the middle and we'll start over. Um, that that's a really, really important part of this offense. So people are like, oh, I hope Hinden, it's like, well, if he gets hurt, he gets hurt. But like, that's part of this offense. Like part of the appeal of Hinden Hooker is what he does when he does get pressured, uh, which has not been all that much, but I think it's something like half of his dropbacks when he is pressured, he does end up running. Um, but look, that's part of what makes Hinden Hooker great is that he is extremely good at that particular thing when he needs to. I think Jabari Small probably gets stuffed in this one. I, if you go through the Jalen Wright numbers and he had so many plays last week where he just bounces up in his body control and I I don't think he gets like you can hold him back. I think he's going to quietly have like seven carries for like 75 yards. I don't think Jalen Wright is someone that George is going to be able to limit because he's so hard to bring down. Like Jalen Wright is just I cannot wait to see how he continues to evolve uh, with Tennessee, uh, especially probably next year where he's probably the feature back uh, for this group. I think he's maybe a star in waiting. I, I think Jalen Wright is come a long way and he's just quietly averaging like 10 yards a carry <laughs> uh, week over week, the last couple weeks. And he's good. I think Jalen's not getting stuffed. I think Jalen's going to have his days because you'll be giving a lot to Hinden Hooker and Jabari. And then it's like, oh, Jalen, this guy's coming in in quarter number two, just uh, the defense a little tired. And then you have to just do so much to bring Jalen Wright down. I, I don't know. I'm all in. I, I bought all the Jalen Wright stock. Like it's, there's none for sale. You can't get in Ryan. Like I've gobbled it all up weeks ago. Um, it's done. No, no stock available. Yeah. I mean, he's been really good. And I think his role from the jump of the season would have been a lot more if he could just hold on to the football. I mean, yeah. it's been fumbling. that has been, been his problem, but yeah, I mean, you go to those two runs he had last week, where I mean he looked like Alvin Kamara uh, mm-hmm. those two plays where just his balance was unbelievable that he didn't go down and uh, to me when you look specifically at this matchup is Tennessee able to get him out into the open field you know because to me if Georgia bottles up the run game and there's nowhere for Jalen Wright to go there's nowhere for Jabari Small to go I don't think Jalen Wright's great right now at turning a big play out of absolutely nothing I think he's good at turning a six or seven yard run into a 25 30 yard run right now so uh, to me, that's something to watch, and, and certainly I think he's the most talented and the most dynamic running back in that Tennessee room. Um, under-talked about matchup is what? What's the one that you've circled that you're going to be paying most attention to that no one's really talking about right now? I don't really know. It, and people probably are talking about this, but and I'm still in, still in a line from Josh Pate that I heard him talk about this week to me that I think is very key in this game is Georgia has a lot of new guys at corner and they've played well this year. And it's kind of, you know, that was a big question mark coming in the season and Georgia's kind of checked that box, but it's just like everybody, no one in the SEC has played an offense like Tennessee and Alabama. Nobody was talking about Alabama safety problem going into mm. the Tennessee game. And everybody felt like Kentucky, man, they'd shut down Mississippi state. You know, they are probably well equipped to shut down Tennessee. Same thing went with LSU. They'd shut down Mississippi state. They'll be well equipped to shut down Tennessee. There's just no offense in the SEC. There's no offense in any team that Tennessee's schedule has faced like Tennessee. And I think all of a sudden, when you have that tempo, when you have two big-time receivers and someone other than Keely Ringo is going to have to be guarding uh, either Cedric Tillman or Jalen Hyatt, then 
all of a sudden these guys that have been good and we haven't thought about all season, they're still pretty inexperienced and they haven't played against an offense like this uh, yet. So to me, that's, I don't know if that's something that people haven't been talking about. Obviously, I just stole it from somebody else who was talking who was talking about it. So obviously, somebody is talking about it. Uh, but to me, that's something else. To me, that's going to be really big in this game because, again, like I said, I've probably said a few times now. To me, this game's just going to come down to the line of scrimmage. Who could win on the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball? Because if if Tennessee runs the ball and can keep Georgia honest uh, defensively, Tennessee's receivers, Tennessee's passing attacks, just good enough that they're going to get some big plays. I agree. Um, it will be amazing to see the shock faces around Athens on Saturday. Just, whoa, what? What is this? Because last year there was like the what ifs where uh, you had the bomb to, I think it was, was it Peyton in the Bayless. left side? Or because they had, was was it Bayless with Akili Ringo pass interference deep in the left side? I thought that was okay, no. Peyton. I, I'm thinking of a different play. First play, yeah. it was about the first drive of the game. It's going to end up scoring on that drive. Yes. Bayless was wide open down the seam and Hooker overthrew him. Yeah. So those are not going to happen this time. We haven't seen that <laughs> this year. That's just not been a thing. And I just think if you think this is going to be a low scoring game, I think you you just haven't been paying attention. Like, I think if you think Tennessee's being held to 17 again, I just, unless Hinden Hooker is gone after the first quarter, uh, I don't see that being the path. I think you have to look at this if you're Kirby. And I think he probably is. Um, he's just not going to say this out loud. It's just that like, we're going to have to score 50 like him and Monken are in the lab. Like, how do we get 50 on Tennessee? How do we do this? Because I think it's going to take like the last time Tennessee scored less than 30 was against Georgia last year. Like they have scored at least 30 points since that game every single week. And I just I don't think it's a it's uh, it, Georgia fans who are expecting the Georgia defense of last year to put a clamp on this Tennessee offense. They're it's just not happening. Like that's that's not how you're beating Tennessee this week. The way you're beating Tennessee, I think, is if Stetson has a better game than Hooker. If Stetson is the national championship game, Stetson, where he finds Ladd and Brock over the middle and he's able to slice and dice a little bit, Kenny McIntosh on, on the outs, uh, just on just in the flank, and Aaron Beasley and Jeremy Banks don't tackle well. And they had those kind of plays because that James Cook stuff last year was a backbreaker. They had no answer for James Cook on those wheel routes out of the backfield. Like that was just a game breaker situation. If that happens again, you can see it. And then like Hendon Hooker throws two or three picks. Like that's it. Like Hendon Hooker not being his normal accurate self where that's that's a different kind of kind of thing. But I don't see that being the case. I don't see Tennessee is number one in turnover margin in the SEC. Georgia has a solid zero. They're right there at number eight. Um, not negative, not positive. They don't have, they, I think they were like, what? They have two, I think, 40 plus yard passing plays this season total. Tennessee has 19. Like, it's just, it's two very different styles, but ultimately both very efficient offenses for very different reasons. And I think that's why you're going to see, I have 49, 45 Tennessee. Like, I think it's something bonkers like that, but I also wouldn't be surprised if it's 49, 45 Georgia. Like, I think one of the two happens. I think this is going to be kind of similar to the dually georgia game from yeah, years ago 12. i think it's gonna be close to that yeah i can see that i have tennessee 38 georgia 35 and and that's where i would say i don't see like i feel like you're talking about it various in a very similar sense of the alabama game and i don't see it getting quite you know to that level i don't feel like georgia's got to have to score 50 now maybe that needs to be your mindset because tennessee might go out and score 49 mm. uh, but i feel like there's a middle ground where Tennessee's offense can isn't going to get shut down. It's going to play well, but ends up scoring 35 points, and then Georgia can get to 42 and win. So that's kind of the one thing I would say 
And you don't need Hendon Hooker to throw two interceptions, you know, to get to that. You do a lot of what Pitt did, where you get Tennessee in the third and long. You don't let him get that first first down, which we know is so important in this Tennessee offense. And Tennessee just has empty possessions where they don't shoot themselves in the foot. But should tell you, since you go back to that Pitt game, there really haven't been a whole lot of Tennessee empty possessions where they haven't just shot themselves in the foot with penalties or uh, a turnover. Obviously, there haven't been many of those, but uh, or a sack out of field goal range. Uh, something like that but I uh, again I feels like with Georgia and Georgia's defense not this isn't just this year but just generally speaking feels like if you got a pretty good offense and anything worse than a pretty good offense or even a good offense you can you can maybe get to 20 points against Georgia and then those elite offenses always get to 30 or more and to me I just I think Tennessee is going to be in that realm where they can get to 30 or more and and we'll see if the the defense plays well enough uh, or the offense can really do again what they did to Alabama and turn this into just a complete shootout. Who do you think um, punts more in this one? I'll say Tennessee. I don't think it's going to be many either way. I, I think it's again, Georgia. I, just, I think Tennessee, and I'm kind of viewing this from the perspective that Tennessee gets out to a, a quick lead and maybe it's not 14 points, but you know, a, a touchdown lead early. And I just think that just affects the way everybody plays. In the way nobody wants to punt against Tennessee, they want to go for it on fourth down, and they they don't want to just punt for you know I'm using a pun here that mm. is really more of just me not being able to find a better word. They don't want to punt on not scoring on mm. drive. Uh, I I think maybe Kirby won't be as desperate as some other coaches have been this year, and in, in that case, you know I think maybe logically it would be Georgia punting more, but I'll go with Tennessee, but. I'd be surprised if either team punts three times in this game. I like it. I um I don't know. I also will say ESPN.com. What are we doing? We have Stetson Bennett as the highlighted passer here. Um, in the the if you go through the Week Ten uh, scoreboard uh, perspective, you have Jalen Rice leading rusher, Jalen Hyatt as the leading passer, and then Stetson Bennett's nine TDs uh, as the quarterback of highlighted here. What are we doing? What are we? What are we doing? The Heisman favorite, not the quarterback highlighted. What? What are we doing? Mercedes of Knoxville, step in. You're now the NIL guy for Hendon Hooker. What are we doing? Step in here. Let's do it. I think it's because Stetson has more passing yards. Mm. I believe it's whoever has more yards. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Do you know of anyone who has like a really funny local Knoxville deal right now? Like any like a baseball, basketball, football? Who has like the most random? I know some baseball guys during the season had Marcos Garza deal, mm. which I think Drew Gilbert did, which is to me is always probably to the outward listener isn't funny, but Marcos Garza feels like he sponsors like every single podcast or uh, I know he does Basilio's uh, post game show. And it mm. was to me, that was kind of a funny one, but that's about, that's about the best I have. Okay. Uh, Ryan Shumpert. Um, what can the good folks check out from you and the team over at Rocky Top Insider this week? Yeah, so plenty of stuff uh, getting you ready for the Bulldogs. A lot of what Kirby Smart had to say, what Josh Heifel had to say. Uh, three keys looking at this game. Talk to uh, Palmer Tomes with uh, uh, the Georgia on three site who kind of broke down this game. And then also, I know people don't really want to talk about it right now, but Tennessee basketball uh, season opens up on Monday. And uh, a good bit of coverage uh, from them this week. And uh, practice observations yesterday wrote about Josiah Jordan James, uh, Tennessee being feeling good that he's going to be back uh, for the season opener on Monday. And then also had a, a little bit of a piece on Tyreek Key and uh, what his teammates and uh, assistant coaches said about his scoring ability. So plenty of stuff on Tennessee football, getting you ready for Georgia. We'll have tons of stuff this weekend, tons of coverage, and then also everything you need to get you ready for the start of uh, 
uh, new basketball season for the Vols and one I think that Tennessee's going to spend a lot of the year in the top five in. The problem is just no good games. Like until the Arizona game on the road, it's just it's a slog, man. I college basketball, you got to fix this. We got outside of the Battle of Atlantis and the Arizona game, just not a lot of fun stuff until the new year. And Tennessee usually does a good job of at least playing mm. good opponents. And look, they're playing a lot of Power Five opponents. It just turns out that a lot of these teams that scheduled aren't going to be very good. I mean, they got Colorado for the final uh, game in a three-game series. Maryland up in in Brooklyn in December. He was obviously has a new coach and doesn't expect it to be a whole lot. So you're right. It is a little bit of a slug of schedule. And usually they get one good pre-conference game at Thompson Bling Arena. They don't have that this year. So uh, really not a big game at TBA until really I think Kentucky comes to town in early January. Yeah. SEC play. That's when you get my full attention, Tennessee basketball. You get Arizona for me and I'll watch them, but like, and like full attention, like and the, just a lot of Tuesday night uh, baseball games is what I'm seeing here on this early calendar. A lot of those Tennessee, uh, Belmont, Tennessee, Xavier. Oh, I Tennessee. wish they were playing Belmont. Well, I guess you're talking about yeah. baseball. Yeah, I wish Tennessee baseball basketball color. got to play Belmont. But yeah. I was going to say, Belmont did not enjoy coming to Tennessee no. on a Tuesday. They did not enjoy that no. one. I think they enjoyed it more than losing in their conference championship game to, uh, what, I think it was Southern Illinois and going Southeast Missouri State. Uh, Jason Rackers, who was at Tennessee, transferred there, and he pitched 10 or 11 innings, giving up one run uh, in Belmont, lost 2-1. to one. And it's like the SEC tournament where Belmont, Southeast Missouri had already lost a game. Belmont had not lost a game, and there was no, you know, didn't have to beat them twice, and they, they missed the NCAA tournament because of that, so – the Vols got them real bad in a midweek, and then they got them worse with a, a former Vol, Jason Rackers, shutting them down in the Ohio Valley Conference Championship. So mm. I, have, I have a buddy who played on the Belmont baseball team, so I was I was tuned in uh, to the Bruins all last year. <laughs> Big Bruins guy. Um, isn't that your high school, too? Aren't they the Bruins? That is. The Bruins yeah. Bruins. They're just all over the place. Uh, Ryan Shumpert, always a pleasure, my friend, uh, at rshump00. Uh, we need to fix that. Who's rshump00? Were you number double zero in, in like high school and just sports? Were you zero? I, I was a zero guy, and I just well, I just thought double zero was a very funny number. Okay. It was like before people were allowed to wear it, too. You know, I thought you were going to say stuff. you were born then, because I realized the math would actually add up of you being born around 2000, right? It would, yeah. I was born in March '99, so okay, a little, a little, little. bit before that, but okay. it could, it could match up. Yeah, pretty close. Make you feel old, uh, Ryan Shepard. Always a pleasure, and I will talk to you next week. Sounds great. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.